At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. Today we're going to go back into John, the Gospel of John, one of the most beloved Gospels of all of uh, human history. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, is where we're going to pick up our our, uh, study today. Now, uh, for those of you who have been traveling with us, you'll know not just the text, but the context in which we are currently in. This is Holy Week, that Jesus is in the first ever Easter week, what we commemorate every year. Jesus is building up to the Friday in which he will lay his life down for us and purchase our redemption, accomplish the greatest event in all of human history. Make no mistake about it, the watershed moment of all of human history is the cross. Time is divided at the cross. That's the impact of the life of Jesus. And so this is a Thursday night before what we call Good Friday or Silent Saturday or Resurrection Sunday. On Thursday night, he is sharing his heart with his closest companions. We call them his disciples. Now, they're in this upper room farewell discourse. And if you remember, much of the conversation was about love. It was about how much the Father loves them and how he will care for them. He's preparing Jesus is preparing his closest followers for when he would depart. And and that is so unsettling to them, the fact that he's going to leave. And, And the only thing I can equate it to is if you've ever had maybe a parent that you loved and uh and and they're not here anymore, and you know the weight of that. Or, or maybe if you are a parent, if you've ever dropped your kid off at college before. And the sadness that you feel because you know things aren't going to be the same again. Any parents ever drop your kids off at college before and know those tears? I know some of you were rejoicing, but the rest of us, right, may know that, that sadness. But they were, their hearts were gripped with sadness. And Jesus was saying to them, don't worry, don't fear. The Father loves you. I'm going to prepare a place for you where I am. You'll be with me also. You, you just remain faithful. Uh, the Father will take care of you. But then a conversation about love turns to a conversation about, about hate. Though heaven loves you, the world will hate you because it hated me. Imagine how unsettling that was. And Jesus is sharing with them for the first time how much they're going to be hated, that you're going to be hated so much that they're going to prosecute you because you decide to stand up for me. They're not just going to persecute you. They're going to prosecute you. And some of you, they'll even execute because you decide to be faithful to me. Imagine a preacher preaching that message and then doing an altar call. And say, who wants to come? Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to read in just a moment. I didn't even tell you those things from the beginning because you couldn't have handled it. But now I'm telling you those things to prepare you for, for my departure. And what did it produce within them? If you, if you have ever heard, if you've ever heard bad news, 
If you've ever heard news that you didn't want, if you've ever been in a moment that you didn't invite, you didn't want, you didn't desire, you get a sense of what the disciples are experiencing. And in that moment, they're filled with fear and sorrow. But by the time we open up the book of Acts, which really is a documented history of the continuing work of Christ through his church, they're no longer in fear and sorrow, they're in faith and strength. So you answer me this question. How does somebody go from fear and sorrow to faith and strength? The answer of scripture is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say one more thing and then I promise we'll dive into the text. Recently, your pastors and leaders, some of us, got away for a retreat. It was a planning retreat. We were considering what's next for the church. What is God doing? So we pray, we worship together. We're we're, we're discerning to the best of our ability, trying to hear from the Lord And among the things that came up, maybe the most pronounced, the most significant, was this unified sense in our hearts that we desire to see more of the active ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in yours as well. Amen? Now, I realize saying that hits all of us differently. Now, for some of you, it's going to be exciting. For others of you, you're getting super nervous right now. And let me explain what I mean by that. I came to faith in a charismatic church. And uh, we believed in the active ministry presence of the Holy Spirit. And and I would say almost at times to the risk of overemphasizing the Holy Spirit. And some of you may say, how in the world is that possible? That doesn't even sound right. Well, well, what I mean by that is there was times, if you would have visited uh, the church I grew up in, there's times when you would have thought that, that the Holy Spirit was the only person of the Godhead, as if there was not the Father or the Son. Not all the time, but moments. I've also been a part of ministries that underemphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. You would think the Holy Spirit was non-existent at all or just simply some force to accomplish the will of the Father. But what Jesus is about to do at his teaching best is he's going to explain to us and his disciples the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we can properly understand, rejoice, embrace, and go forward, not in fear and sorrow, but in faith and strength. How many want faith and strength in your life? All right. For the kids who are keeping notes at home, the title is The Way of the Spirit. You want to fill that blank in and then ask your parents for gifts later. And the big idea here is that The Holy Spirit spotlights the Son, S-O-N, the Son. And this first point we pick up in verse number four, the B part of verse number four, and that is the Spirit was sent to help believers. Here's what Jesus says. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. None of these things that Jesus is saying computes in a natural sense. How in the world, Jesus, can you say to your disciples that it is Good for you to depart from them. 
That, that you who have been more than just a savior, like we think of Jesus because of his work on the cross, rightly so. We think of him as savior and redeemer, rightly so. But, but, but for them, he was a friend as well. This was a difficult moment. And if you've ever been in a moment that has been gut-wrenching, a moment where you don't understand what God is up to, God, what are you doing here? How does this fit? This is exactly the moment that they find themselves in. We thought there was a plan. How does this piece of the puzzle fit? It does not seem to fit. Have you ever been in that situation where what God was up to in your life seemed to not fit his plan or purpose for your life? And what Jesus is saying back to them, and by the way, by extension, back to us, in those moments where you can't fully track his hand, he's saying, trust my heart, trust my character, trust that I am faithful, trust that though this hurts and it is difficult, that I am up to something for my glory and for your good. He, he says to them, not only am I departing, but it's to your advantage that I go away. That somehow it would be to your advantage. How could Jesus' departure be to their advantage? Well, he doesn't leave it a mystery, does he? he? He tells them exactly how this is to their advantage. He says, if I don't go, the helper won't come. That's what the Spirit is, is often referred to. He is referred to as the helper. And in this life, you will need help. Can I get an amen? amen? In this life, you are going to need help. You cannot live the Christian life without help. You can't be the mom you need to be, the dad you need to be, the husband, the wife you need to be. You can't accomplish the Christian life without help. But how many have come to know that the Holy Spirit is not just help, he is the greatest helper humanity has ever known. Praise God, he does not leave us without resources. Yes, God commanded them and he commands us to obey him. He commands us to follow him, not just when it is easy, but when it is hard and when it is difficult. He commands us to follow him and to live on mission for him. And so often we find ourselves saying, Lord, I don't know if I could be obedient through this. I don't know if I can be faithful through this. My heart is aching, things are difficult. And what God says to us is I know and that's why I send help. And who is our help? It is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Bible teaches us a, a little bit about uh, the makeup, the constitution of God. Those who have come before us, theologians, reformers, would describe it this way, that we serve a, a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one in essence, three in persons, individual, indivisible, always united. 
This is the God that we serve. Is it a mystery beyond mysteries? Yes, it is. But yet scripture affirms that the Holy Spirit is here to strengthen us and empower us. And I'm going to say a bold statement, and I hope you can say amen to this, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How many believe that with all their heart? And here's the thing, friends. When you affirm that, what that means is that you have help for every situation you will face. I like to describe it this way. I want you to picture this. For every situation you are going through, the Spirit of God is there to extend to you the cup of grace needed to make it through that situation. No matter how difficult or hard, the Spirit of God is extending to you a cup of grace. Now it's up to you and I to determine, will we drink from that cup of grace and get the strength we need to bear up under the trials and the challenges that will come our way? He just told them, you're going to be hated. You're going to go through difficulty. It won't always be rainbows and roses. There's going to be some difficult times, but there's grace available to you. And if it was true for them, it's true for us as well. Right now, for the situations you are facing and going through, picture now in your mind. The Spirit of God is extending to you a cup of grace. He is saying to you that I have all that you'll need to make it through this moment, to remain faithful, to glorify me. The question is, will you receive it? And I pray that you will today. Well, he doesn't stop there. He goes on from there. He explains to us that the Spirit doesn't just have ministry to the believer, but he has a ministry to the world. The Spirit was sent to convict the world. Now, what I'm about to share with you is one of the most comforting and encouraging sections of Jesus' talk for those of us who really have a passion for seeing people come to faith in Christ. For those of us who really have a desire to see people come to faith in Christ, what I'm about to read to you is going to relieve so much pressure. Because he says in verse number eight these words, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, you may not be shouting right now, but in the, in, in the heart of these verses is one singular message, and that is, it is not up to you and I to change hearts. That we cannot change someone's heart. You can't change your spouse's heart. Now, some of you have been working on that project since you said, I do. But you can't do it. You can't change your child's heart. Some of you have been working on that project since they were born. Then they went through adolescence. Then they entered into those alien years known as the teenage years. And you've been trying to change their heart. You cannot do it. You can't change your neighbor's heart, your co-worker's heart, your boss's heart. The only one who can change hearts is who? The Holy Spirit. But praise God, he is at work in the world changing human hearts. 
And I believe not only is he at work in the world to change human hearts, I believe that he is at work in this room changing human hearts. I believe that he is at work in homes that are watching this gathering, changing human hearts. And in what ways does he do that? Well, Jesus makes it clear he does that by bringing conviction. Conviction concerning what? Well, first off, conviction concerning sin. Jesus is the one who convicts our hearts concerning sin. He's the one that causes us to have a crisis of conscience. He's the one that causes us to recognize that my behavior is wrong. If you have ever come to a place of repentance, if you're in this room right now and you can remember a time when your sin became so clear to you and your need to repent became so clear to you and evident, I want you to know it wasn't because of the eloquence of the preacher. It wasn't because of the giftedness of the worship team. It wasn't because of the great programs of the church. It is the Holy Spirit of God that convicts our hearts of sin. And if you're here today and you've had that moment, or maybe, dare I say, having that moment, where the Lord has been at work in your life by his Spirit, convicting you of your sin, letting you know that this is not the way of God, this way that you are on, this way of behavior, conversation, acting, resentfulness, unforgiveness, bitterness, sexual immorality, all of these things, greed, corruption, all of these things, it takes the Holy Spirit. I can't yell you into repentance. No one can. But the Holy Spirit of God is the one that persuades the human heart that sin is real. Second thing that he convicts the world of is concerning righteousness. Now, what does he mean by this? What he tells the world and what he convicts us of is any pursuit of righteousness apart from him. He convicts us of this thing of false righteousness or self-righteousness, and many of us have tried to achieve a righteousness on my own. But let me tell you, there's no good work that I can do, no good work that you can do that will justify you before God. I don't care how many meals you buy for people. I don't care how many backpacks you get for kids. I really don't think that we should see even missions work that way. Praise God for missions work. I want you to go on trips. But if you think that earns salvation, let me just say, God is not obligated to any of us. He is the only non-contingent being in all the universe. All the rest of us are dependent upon him. It's in him that we live, we move, and we have our being. He is not dependent upon us. I want to say something to you that's going to burst your bubble, and it may sound different to what your mama told you growing up, but God don't need you. I know as gifted as you are, as, as, as much resources as you bring to the, to the table, as great as your network or capacity is, God does not need us, but we desperately need him. And so what he does, friends, is he convicts us of righteousness apart from him and helps us to see that the only way I can be right before God is through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God the Father alone. The only way I can experience salvation is through faith in him. 
can't buy my way into it. He doesn't traffic in our currency. God doesn't care about our stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or annuities. He can care less about cryptocurrency. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. The only currency that really matters is faith and trust in him. But when you trust in him, you can know real righteousness. He convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. Third thing he convicts of is judgment. This is Jesus' way of saying, there's a day of accountability that is coming, friends. Let me not mince words here. The same Bible that tells us of grace and salvation also tells us of God's wrath and judgment. And there should be a part of us that uh, appreciates that The fact that God is going to come and that he's going to dole out his wrath. The Bible says that his wrath is stored up for the day of judgment where he will judge unrepentant sinners. And why should we rejoice in that? Not because we enjoy seeing wrath, but because you would never call any judge good that did not hold criminals accountable. Imagine for a moment if there was a judge on the stand that every criminal that came before them, they just let them off. And imagine if you were one of the ones that was victimized, robbed, beaten, cheated. Imagine how you would feel if the judge just says, well, I'm a merciful judge, I'm just going to let you off. None of us would want that judge to sit on that bench any longer. Well, God is, yes, merciful, and he offers a way of escape. Throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Put your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation and accept that he went to the cross to pay the penalty for you that you could not pay. Or if not, if you choose to reject his offer of grace and mercy, And there is a fearful, fiery judgment that is coming, and he convicts the world of judgment. And what that means to me is that I don't have to do it. Yes, I have to be faithful in sharing. So do you. We have to be faithful witnesses. We have to be faithful as the Spirit leads us and prompts us to tell people of the way of salvation. But it's not our job to convince them of it. So moms and dads who have been trying to change the heart of your child, entrust them to Jesus. Wives and husbands who've been trying to change the heart of your spouse know that that is the Spirit's work to do. Friends who have been trying to change the hearts of neighbors, you can't carry that burden. You can certainly petition God for it, and you can trust the work of the Spirit to do it. And how many thank God that he did it in your life? How many thank God that he showed you that sin was sinful? that righteousness is found in him alone, that judgment is coming, and that we can be on the right side of that day. Well, with the moments I have left, the third thing that the Spirit does is that the Spirit guides the church. He was sent to guide the church. Look at what it says in verse number 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Those are such tender words. I could camp out here for much longer if time would permit. It doesn't. But I simply want you to know that God won't place upon us more than what we can bear in a moment. And you will say, it certainly feels that way. I can certainly think of times that I felt pretty overwhelmed. But he knows the grace that he has given. He knows the presence of the Spirit in our lives and 
He will give what we need in the moment that we need it. This is such a tender word. It's kind of a refrain of verse number 4b. I did not say these things to you from the beginning. There were hard things that I knew from the beginning that I didn't say from the beginning. And then you go down to verse number 12, and he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. There are things that God waits allows us to mature and to grow, but in those moments where he pulls back the veil and he allows you to see the brokenness of the world, when he allows you to see the way we share in his sufferings with him, when he allows you to see the cost of discipleship in those moments, know that with those moments comes the grace needed in order to survive those moments and still give him glory. Because the next verse affirms that. Verse number 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority or on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, underline that. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this, my friends, brings the ministry of the Holy Spirit into balance. Because the Holy Spirit comes not to spotlight himself, but to spotlight the Son. The Holy Spirit comes not to glorify himself, but to glorify the Son. So when we pray for the Spirit of, of the Lord to be at work within us, what it increases in our hearts is a desire for Christ to be magnified. That is the work of the Spirit, that we will focus more intently, more obediently on the work and the words of Christ. That's how you know the Spirit Spirit is at work in you. He doesn't come to glorify himself. Now understand what this looks like. There's a lot of examples I can give you. But how many by the show of hands have been to a concert before? You've been to a concert before. Don't worry, you're not going to get in trouble. Just raise your hand. All right. Now, when you buy a ticket to go to that concert, who are you going to see? You're going to see the artist on the stage, right? That favorite artist you have on the stage. But you know that behind the scenes, there is a whole team, a tech team, a lighting team, a sound team, stage managers that are putting the whole thing together. They're orchestrating all of it. And good artists occasionally will pause in the middle of their concert and say, hey, I just want to recognize, I want to give a shout out to the tech team, to the stage manager, to all the production crew that put this together. For that moment, they are spotlighted, but for the rest of the time in the concert, who is the main attraction? It's the artist on the stage. Well, in like manner, the Holy Spirit is orchestrating so much, friends. He's orchestrating stuff that you don't even see. He's pulling together events and people and places and moments and changing hearts. Why? So that Jesus Christ can be the focal point of the attention of all of humanity. So that none of us might put Jesus on the back burner. The Holy Spirit takes great joy in glorifying the Son. That's his work. And that's his ministry. So when we pray, 
Holy Spirit, have your way. Know that what he's going to do is mobilize us, energize us, remind us that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords and worthy of our praise. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, how many know that the name of the Lord is to be praised? Come on and give him glory and praise in this place. There's a part of me that want to go for another hour, but I'll stop because I want you to come back next week. We're going to pick up this story, but I do want you to know this, that even in this room, he is convicting of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And as the praise team comes out to join me right now, maybe today he's convicting you of those things. Let me just say that in the day that you hear the voice of the Lord, hearten not your heart. He brought you this far so that you might know his salvation. Don't get this close and miss it. If you're in the room or if you're watching online, connect with us today. There'll be leaders to pray with you. There'll be somebody who will follow up with you online. But let today be the day of your salvation. Everyone stand. Father, we thank you for you are good. Thank you that we are not left without grace, without power, even in the most difficult of moments. You give us all that we need. Thank you for the spirit at work in the midst of your people. Now, Lord, save as only you can. And we say amen, amen, and amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.